morning. This Wednesday, we are back on feeding the homeless. The next women's Bible study is Thursday, November 17th, 6 p.m. Yes. Yes. And the next men's Bible study is Saturday, November 19th at 9. We will... Uh, the men will be finishing up. This will be our last chapter. So then we'll take time off and probably won't start another men's Bible study until after the new year. And I think both the men's study and the women's study, we're going to go through Radical Prayer by Manny Mills, which I'm excited about. Because that book uh, really did change my prayer life radically. Uh, so... I think it'll be a good book for both men and women to go through. So I'm excited about that. The next youth night is this Thursday, November 10th, here, 6 p.m. Uh, and then sign up for email updates. Or you can find the calendar on the website, thechurchne.org. You haven't been able to find the website? No. Really? No. Did you even look? No. Oh, well, that might explain it. <laughs> okay. Oh. Maybe if you had a phone, you could find it, huh? Maybe if you didn't take away my phone. Oh, I'll see what I can do. <clears throat> okay, well, let's get started. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. I thank you for the way that you lead us, the way you guide us, the way you love us, the way you provide for us. I just ask that you would speak to our hearts today, and that you would reveal more of yourself to us, help us to understand more of who you are, more of your love, more of your mercy, more of your grace. Um, I ask you would meet us right where we're at. You know what we're going through. You know what we're thinking. You know what's going on in our lives. Um, even if no one else does, you know. And I just ask that you would Help us to turn to you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to um, just have that relationship with you where we can talk to you and, and get comfort and guidance that can only come from you. I ask you would speak to us today and that the words that are spoken today would be your words, not mine. And that you would guide us through this study. And that you would um, strengthen us and encourage us and draw us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Okay, so we are going to continue on in Romans chapter 12. So, I think, before we go into the study verse by verse, I'm going to finish off, I'll read all of the rest of chapter 12. All the way through, and then we'll break it apart kind of verse by verse like we normally do. So, Romans chapter 12, starting here in verse 9. So last week we kind of went into the spiritual gifts, but then left off that without love, they're kind of all worthless. And then Paul's going to pick that up here again, the, the topic of love. And we're going to go deeper into it 
when we break apart the verses. So Romans 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So that is the rest of chapter 12. Paul gives us lots of good insights as to how we're to live our lives. And most importantly, we're to love. And we're going to go into all the different types of people we're to love. But when we sum it all up, it is everyone. There's no one in this world that we're not to love, including our enemies. We just read that we're supposed to pray for them, pray that God will bless them. And if you can do that, your enemy will no longer be your enemy. Your heart will be softened towards them. God will do a work that only he can do. So we'll start back we'll go back verse by verse we'll go go back to Romans chapter 12 verse 9 we'll look at verse 9 and 10 and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and look and see what it says there Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 kind of mirror what we're going through here in Romans you know, Paul talked about spiritual gifts a few verses earlier and in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it was all about spiritual gifts. And we read through that last week. And here, Paul continues on with verses 9 and 10, talking about love. So we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read in more detail more about love. So, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So really love them. Really lay down your life. Sacrifice for them. And it's not about you. That when we're serving God, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus. And that's what love is. Love is denying ourselves. Love is self-sacrificing. We learn in the Bible that Love is sacrificial. And the, the ultimate example of that was Jesus laying down his life for us. That's how he shows 
his love for us. So, to expand on love, we're, like I said, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the, the chapter on love. And we kind of talked last week about the spiritual gifts, but if you don't have love, they're all worthless. And Paul's going to explain that to us in chapter 13 here also. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting here in verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So without love, I can, be a, I can be noisy but useless to God. Without love, I would be nothing. Without love, I have gained nothing. That's what Paul's telling us. So continuing on here in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So love is patient, kind, always hopeful, endures through everything. Love never gives up, never loses faith, rejoices when the truth wins out. Love is not jealous, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not demanding, and not irritable. So when I get frustrated, I'm not demonstrating love. Love doesn't keep records of wrong, doesn't rejoice at injustice. So what have we learned about God's forgiveness? Over and over again, we've been over God's forgiveness. And when he forgives, he removes it from our record. He never brings it up again. And here we're told that that's by God doing that, that's him demonstrating love. Because love does not keep records of wrongs. Love doesn't remember all the things that others have done to us. When we forgive, when we demonstrate that love, we remove those records of wrongs. We don't ever bring them up again. And that's true love. So we learned that love, I didn't read anywhere in Paul's description of love, that love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is sacrificing our time, our talents, our treasure to serve others. So I'll continue on here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these things will become useless. 
So when we're living in paradise with Jesus, all these things, the, the gift of prophecy, the speaking in tongues, special knowledge, will have no more value because we'll know, we'll know everything. The, all will be revealed to us. So they won't have any value, but love will still have value. Love will last forever. Um, we won't need an understanding, a deeper understanding of God's word or a, a word of prophecy of what's going to happen in the future God will reveal it all to us. So all those things are, or the gift of speaking in tongues, which so many people put so much emphasis on, will become useless, Paul says. But love, love will remain. Love will continue on, even when we're in paradise with Jesus. So continuing on here in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And that, I know, is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. So God knows us completely, knows all of our thoughts, all of our desires, everything we've ever done, he knows. He knows who we are. There's nothing we've done in secret. And Paul's saying that God knows us completely. He knows everything. And that when we're made perfect, when we're in paradise with, with God, that we'll know everything as well. That God will reveal all to us. And so we won't need any of these, well, we won't need certain spiritual gifts that we covered last week, but we will still need love. And this is the, probably the most famous verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The last verse of the, the chapter, verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. So we learned that other spiritual gifts won't last forever. But these three will. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So the greatest thing we can do is love. That that love will last forever. Where other spiritual gifts won't. While we won't have a need for them. Because God will, will make us more perfect. More like his son Jesus. We're going through this process of sanctification that isn't completed until we meet him in paradise. But this love that we have, this love that we can practice here on earth, continues on in heaven, continues on for all of eternity. And that love will last forever. And the greatest of the gifts that will last forever out of faith, hope, and love is love. So let's go to 1 John chapter 5. And while... While you're turning there, up on the screen is, is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. These are Jesus' words. If you love me, obey my commands. So if we love God, if we claim to love God, we show that by obeying his commands. That the love is an action. Love's not a feeling. I feel connected with God when I'm worshiping or things like that. While that may be true, that's not our demonstration of love. How we demonstrate our love to God, how we prove that we love God, that we our actions back up our words, is by obeying his commands. And so we'll continue on here in 1 John chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. So we've learned that the most important thing we can do is love. The, all the spiritual gifts in the world are worthless without love. That the only thing that will last, well, one of the three things that will last forever is love. And out of those three, the greatest is love. 
So God is expressing to us the importance of love, sacrificing of our time, talents, and treasures, laying down our lives, laying down our desires, picking up our cross and following Jesus, serving others, following Jesus. So God has made it very clear how important this this work, this act of love is, not a feeling, but an action. And here we're going to go a little deeper in to what does it mean to love God. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. So here, again, we're told if we love God, we'll obey his commands. And God's making it very clear that we're to love other believers. And you think, well, that sounds reasonable, sounds not too difficult. I should be able to love other believers. But other believers are still imperfect. We are all imperfect, and we're going to make mistakes. And I think it hurts even worse when a believer, when you're hurt by another believer. When you're hurt by another believer, you think well, they should know better. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have acted this way. And I would say to you, it's probably harder to love those other believers, right? When they've hurt you, when they've um, treated you harshly, when they've slandered you or gossiped about you or, or done something to you and they claim to be followers of Jesus. Are they followers of Jesus? It's between them and God. But I think it hurts even worse because they should know better. So God's making it very clear that we are to love his children. And when we believe in Jesus, we become God's children, he says here in verse 1, and that we're to love all of God's children. So all believers were to love. Um, this means the good believers, the bad believers, the good witnesses, the bad witnesses to Jesus. We're all a witness to Jesus when we claim to be Christians, and we're either a good witness or a bad witness. The saints, the hypocrites, Everyone in between were to love all believers, all of God's children. So we'll continue on here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. So loving God means keeping his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So we achieve this victory through our faith and our faith in Jesus. Our belief that Jesus is the Son of God. That's how we achieve this victory over the world. Remember, Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. That it was over. That the battle is over. The war has been won. Jesus wins. It's over. All we have to do is walk in that. We can choose to believe and walk in the light, or we can choose to question and walk in a lie that the, the devil made me do it. You know, no, no, that's not what God's saying here. God's making it very clear that, no, the devil didn't make you do it, that the battle is over, Jesus has won, sin and death are defeated, but we can still choose to walk in that sin, and we can choose to believe many of the lies of the world. If it makes you happy, you should do it. You deserve to be happy. All these things that are based on some feelings, and our feelings often change, right? Our feelings can change regularly. And if we're led by our feelings, we're going to be tossed around like a wave in the sea, back and forth. But when we choose to love, when we choose to do the hard things that God asks us to do, to walk in the light, 
to believe that sin and death have been defeated, that Jesus is one, then we truly can be children of God. We can be a light and a witness to others. And that we don't make excuses for our actions. We ask for forgiveness, we accept God's forgiveness, and we move forward. We know that he forgives us every time and that he removes those sinful actions from our records. And I'm so thankful for that. So we will go back to, we'll go back to Romans chapter 12. So Romans chapter 12, we've been over love. We've been over the love that we're supposed to have, how great that action is, that we're to love God. And by loving God, we show that by obeying his commands and his commands are all throughout his word. And that we're to love other believers. But we'll continue on with the study and see what else God shows us about love. So Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. So never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. So we're to work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Um, not grudgingly, not, oh, I have to go to church today. Oh, I have to go to this Bible study. Oh, I have to go feed the homeless. Oh, I have to do this or do that. No, no, we're to do it enthusiastically, um, even when we're tired, even when it's hard, even when it isn't convenient for us. We're to work hard. So that, doesn't, that tells me that life isn't going to be easy for us. It's going to be hard work. Even serving God can be hard work. Um, but we're not to... To put that above everything else, that we're to serve God and follow him, work hard, do it enthusiastically, not be lazy. But then we're also told right after that to rejoice in our confident hope. And remember, our, the hope that God talks about is not a hope like a 50-50 chance. I hope I win the lottery this week. No, no. It's a guarantee. God's hope in salvation is what he's talking about, is a guarantee. Guarantee that we will be saved. That when we put our trust and our faith that Jesus is God, that he is God's son, came down to earth, sacrificed himself on a cross for our sins, and was raised three, raised from the dead three days later, we are saved. End of story. Guaranteed. Nothing can take that away. That's that confident hope. That's the hope that God talks about. Not the hope of the world, but his hope. That we're to be patient in troubling times. So we're told again here that life isn't always going to go well for us and we're to be patient even when it is hard to be patient and keep on praying even through the troubling times we're to be praying before we get to the troubling times but don't forget to continue to pray through the troubling times and that troubling times are promised here they're going to happen bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and that doesn't mean that God loves us any less or that we um that he's mad at us or anything like that. Bad times can come from sin in our life. But ask God, is there sin in my life that I haven't confessed, that, that I need to confess to you, that I need to repent of? And if that's the case, then repent. Confess and repent and be forgiven. And if that's not the case, if troubling times have come just because they come, trust that God will get you through them, that he has a bigger plan, that he will work this troubling situation out for good. And we're to serve God's people. 
God's people who are in need. Always be ready to serve them and be eager to be hospitable, to have people over for dinner, to um, open up your home, to invite people to do life with you, to invite yourself into their lives, to be concerned with what's going on with their lives and how you can come alongside them and pray with them. So we'll continue on here, Romans verse 12, or Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. But God tells us right here, pray for God to bless your enemies. And I just don't pray for God to bless your enemies. God is making it very clear. We are to pray for God to bless our enemies. I can't say that enough. And it's a very difficult thing to do. It's not easy by any means. But when we choose to obey God, when we choose to trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, that he has defeated sin and death, and then we choose to obey his words when we say, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, well, right here. Do you truly love him? If you love Jesus, you will do what he says. And he says to pray for God to bless your enemies. And that is not easy. But when you do that, when you walk in his love, and you, then you get to see the magnificence of his work and how he can change situations in your life. Impossible situations, places where you thought there could never be forgiveness or reconciliation, God can turn that around. But we're going to expand on this idea of praying for our enemies, praying for God to bless them. And we do that here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. So, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as a true as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So this law that Jesus is talking about, um, we get that from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and we won't go there and I won't put it up on the screen, but I will tell you what it says. It says, Do not seek revenge. Or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's what the verse says. But here we read that Jesus says, you've heard the law that says. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees at that time are teaching through the Leviticus law here. Chapter 19, verse 8, or chapter 19, verse 18. But they've added something to it. They're teaching, love your neighbor, which we read. We're to love our neighbor as yourself. But then what they've added is, and hate your enemy. But that's not what God says. God's word doesn't say that. They've twisted it and manipulated it to fit their own agenda. It sounds easier to say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But that's not what God's saying here. God says to love your enemies also. So he doesn't say it in Leviticus, specifically in that verse that that so many of the religious leaders at the time are quoting. But Jesus himself says it right here. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you're acting as true children of your Father in heaven. So I'm thankful that he does send the sunlight and the rain on the good and the evil, on the just and the unjust. Because I once lived an evil and unjust life. And I'm thankful that he didn't just wipe me out. He could have, 
when I was eyeballs deep in sin, he could have just said, nope, I'm done with you. I've had enough of you. And nobody would have been the wiser. Nobody would have blamed him. So I am thankful that he sends the sunlight and the rain on the just and the unjust alike, that he is patient and long-suffering with us. Patient and long-suffering so that we'll come to know him, that we'll come to receive him, that we'll come to believe in his son, that we'll come to understand his love for us. So continuing on here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But if you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we're to love God. He's, he's made that clear to us. We show our love for God by obeying his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, we read, right? Then we're told we're to love believers, other believers. And then we've been told to love our neighbors. That's everyone. And now God's taking it one step further. We're to love our enemies. And that pretty much covers everybody, doesn't it? If we're to love God, we're to love other believers. We're to love our neighbors, who could be believers or not. And we're now we're to love our enemies. That covers it all. So who are we to love? Who's God making this clear about? We are to love everyone. And how do we show that love? And I would say to you, that's Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23, and we won't go there, and it's not up on the screen, but I'll tell you what it says. I'll read it to you. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to follow Jesus, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So turn from your selfish ways, deny yourself, Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. If you want to be his follower, that's what you're to do. And that would, that would be the example of love. That you're, it's a self-sacrificing thing. That you're denying yourself, you're serving others, and you're following Jesus. You're denying yourself, you're loving your neighbors, following Jesus. You're denying yourself, loving your enemy, praying for your God to bless your enemy, and you're following Jesus. And that's the love that we're to have. When we love like that, when we pick up our cross and we're following Jesus, we're truly being a light and a witness to the world around us. When we're praying for God to show us ways that we can bless our enemies, when we're asking God to bless our enemies, when we're being loving to our enemies, to those who persecute us, to those who gossip about us, to those who um, do mean things to us, we're being that light and that witness. And this is not to say that you're ever to be in a situation of abuse. God's not saying that in any way. And if you ever are, you're to get out. You're never to stay there. That's not what God's talking about. But to, to love your enemies, for those who um, talk bad about you at work or at school, those who make fun of you, um, those who relentlessly pick on you, when we love those people, when we pray for them, for God to bless them, God changes our heart towards them. And God does a work in the situation that only he can do. And it's always amazing to get to see God work in your life. God do something that no one else could do. That can only be explained by his hand, his work in you. Through you, in your life. Um, so, we'll continue on. We'll go back to Romans chapter 12. We'll continue on here in verse 15. So, Romans 12, 15. Be happy with those who are happy 
and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So we'll, verse 15 here, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Remember, we went over the story of Job and his friends. And in the beginning there, they were weeping with Job. They were um, just listening to Job, right? They were doing what they're supposed to. Um, they didn't continue on in that, but they at least started off there. We're to be happy with those who are happy. We're to weep with those who are weep. Those who are mourning, we just, uh, our hearts hurt for them. Our hearts break for them. And we're to weep with them um, and just listen to them. We learned that when we went through Job with his friends. That they would have been far better off just listening to Job and not giving all their advice, all their wisdom that they thought they had. So this idea, don't think you know it all. So don't be too proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. You're not better than anyone else, is what Paul's saying. And don't think you know it all. And for that, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. So this idea of, of thinking you know it all, thinking you're smarter than, than those around you, that's absolutely what he's speaking of. But also what he's speaking of is you think you know more than God. You think that you've got it figured out, that God's got it, God screwed this up somehow, and that he needs your help to straighten things out, and that you're going to help others straighten out their lives, not by what God says, but by your own thinking, because you think yourself so wise. You think so highly of yourself, right? And that's a very dangerous place to be. And we're going to see, I think you can see that now in the society that we're in, and, yeah. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. We'll read verse 20 and 21. So Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. So what sorrow for those who think they know it all. They're so wise in their own eyes. They think themselves so clever that they are, are going to go against what God said. That, that the things that God said are good, they're going to call evil. And the things that God says is evil, they're going to call good. The things that God says is dark, they're going to call light. And the things that light, God says is light, they're going to call dark. And the same with bitter and sweet. They're going to pervert what God says. What sorrow for those who think they're so wise. And I think many of us will say, oh, I'm far from that. I would never do something like that. But yet we'll turn around and we'll give advice. Well, you should be happy, right? You deserve to be happy. If your marriage isn't making you happy, you should find someone else. You should split apart. You should separate. You should get divorced. Um, you also see that in, especially in kids today, that... God screwed up. God somehow made a mistake that you really should have been, you were born a boy, but you should have been a girl. Or you were born a girl, but you should have been a boy. You know, and that they're calling good evil and evil good, right? That they've, they're perverting this, that, that they think that they're so much smarter than God and they've done so much damage. And you see that so much in the world today. You, know, you see that in the world today that 
this idea of, of having sex outside of marriage before it's married. Well, everyone's doing it. You, you got to test out the waters, you know, make sure that it, it, you're compatible with each other. Well, God says not to do that. God says that that's evil. But so many people will tell you that's good. That's what you have to do. People have perverted what God said, and they've, they're saying that what God said is really evil. And that's not true. But they think themselves so wise in their own eyes. They give others advice, worldly advice, that is the opposite of what God gives. And it's so, so, so damaging, I think is probably the best way to say it. It does so much damage and you don't even realize it. So I'd be careful with that. I'd be careful with the worldly advice that you give. Don't get caught up in the world and what others say. If everyone else is doing it, that doesn't make it right. It probably makes it wrong. You know, God says that the way to follow him is, is narrow. That, that path is narrow. The gate is narrow. And it's not easy to go against what everyone else is doing. But it is the right thing. And God will give you the tools. We learned that last week. He'll give you the tools that you need. The strength that you need. The wisdom that you need. The word of knowledge that you need. The measure of faith that you need to follow him. And don't go down this path thinking yourself so wise. That you've got it all figured out. That God somehow got it wrong. And that sounds big and, oh, I'd never do that. But I think many of us have done that. Many of us have done that multiple times in our lives in little ways, and we don't even realize it. And I would encourage you to, to pay attention to what you say you know, and make sure that it lines up with the will of God. Because what sorrow awaits those who live their lives and encourage others to do evil. So let's go back to Romans chapter 12. We'll continue on here in verse 17. So Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So we're to live in peace with everyone. We're never to pay back evil with more evil. We're to do things in such a way that everyone can see we're we're living our lives honorably. That we're being that good light and a witness to Jesus Christ. And that we're to live in peace with everyone. So we kind of covered who are we to love. We're to love everyone. And he's making that clear again here. We're to live in peace with everyone. Never to pay back evil for evil. So for that, for this idea of revenge, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Proverbs is, the, is written by Solomon. Solomon asked God for wisdom and God said he granted it to him and that he was the wisest, wisest man. So he, Solomon writes this book of Proverbs and gives us all these wise sayings from God. If you want to know what God's wisdom is, it can be found here in the book of Proverbs. And if you're lacking wisdom, if you, you need wisdom, God says to ask for it and he'll give it to you liberally. He'll give you a big portion of it. Just ask him and continue to ask him. And I would say ask him every day. But here in the book of Proverbs, God makes it clear. And he makes it clear in many other places. Not to take revenge. But I think this is one of the best places. So don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. 
So God tells us in multiple places, multiple ways, all throughout his word, not to take revenge. Don't get even for this wrong. Don't look to settle the score that God will take vengeance. God will take revenge on the, God will handle the matter. God will settle the score. God will make wrongs (coughs) right. God will right the wrongs. God's got it handled so we don't have to. But when we take matters into our own hands, then we're saying, God, you're a liar, and I have to handle this. So you've got to be very careful with that. And it's not easy. Are you willing to be wronged? Are you willing to suffer this injustice in life? Whatever has happened, whatever it could be, and it could be minor things. It could be something that's been wronged on a credit card charge that you've gotten, and they won't take off, and it's invalid and you're very upset about it and you lose your temper with the person on the other end of the phone, why? You don't think that God's got to handle, that God can straighten this out? You have to handle it yourself. And, and usually when we handle it, we're doing it out of anger. And we're never to do things out of anger, right? That God will straighten it out. God will right the wrongs. God will settle the score. That God will do what he says he'll do. So when we take matters into our own hands... <laughs> We're taking our trust away from God. We're not believing in the, the God is who he says he is. And we're not obeying his commands. We're not following him. We don't get to make that claim, oh, I love Jesus, but I'm going to take vengeance on my enemy. It doesn't work that way. And we'll continue on with this idea of taking vengeance here in Romans. We'll continue on chapter 12, verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take vengeance. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Another place we read this is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. And we won't go there, but I'll just read it to you. So verse 21, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. We just read that up top. If, if you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and how, the, how Proverbs finishes out that verse, and the Lord will reward you. So now you've given, given a, a promise of reward if you obey God, if you serve your enemies. Now we've gone from praying for our enemies and now praying to, for God to bless our enemies to now serving our enemies. And when we do this, God gives you a guarantee, a, a promise, uh, and his promises always come true, a guarantee that he'll reward you for it. Now your reward may be here on earth or maybe in heaven. We're to store up our treasures in heaven, not here on earth, we're told. And, and so our rewards might not come right now, right here in front of us, but may come eternally. And I'm fine with that. I'd rather store up more treasures in heaven than I would here on earth. But we are guaranteed this promise of a reward when we obey God and we serve our enemies. Conquer evil by doing good. And deny yourself. Pick up your cross follow Jesus. That's what, it's, that's what it's all summed up in. That's what love is. Love is not an action. Love, it, or love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And that we get to demonstrate our love by serving others, by serving God, 
by denying ourselves and following Jesus. And that's kind of where we're at on love. So we're going to do communion because it is the first, the first Sunday of the month. And they're on the table if you want to hand them out, Kylie. represents his blood, his blood that was shed for us on the cross for each and every one of our sins. And that by doing this, we're remembering that. We're bringing that idea back into our, our minds, to the forefront of our minds, that Jesus loved us so much that he sacrificed for us. So what we do here is we, we take the juice, we take the bread. But before we do that, we come to God and we want to have a clean heart. And I, and I always like to just Ask God to forgive me for my sins. And if I have something specific in mind, I ask for forgiveness for that. And that I come to him and that I'm made fresh, I'm made new. And, and now I, I come and I remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I receive that sacrifice. I'm thankful for that. I receive the, the bread and the juice to represent his body and his blood that he shed for us. So, we'll take communion here this morning. I just encourage you before you take it, just spend some time in prayer and, and just asking God to, to forgive you for any sins that may be in your life. And all of us have sinned, all of us fall short. And then once you've received that forgiveness, know that He's wiped your record clean and received the, the bread and the juice. And remember how much Jesus loved you and that He sacrificed Himself for you. So, with that, we'll take a few minutes. Jesus, I just thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for your willingness to demonstrate your love for each and every one of us, that you would be willing to take our punishment, that you'd be willing to take on the shame of that and, and how people thought of you, but you didn't, weren't concerned about that. Your love for us was stronger than all of that. You demonstrated that, that you willingly 
went to the cross for each one of us. You loved us that much. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the example you give us. I ask you to give each one of us the ability to love those around us, to love our friends, to love the other believers, to love our neighbors, believers and unbelievers alike, and also to love our enemies. You would open up those doors to show us how to serve them, how to love them, give us the opportunities to be a light and a witness to them, and that you would change those situations in our lives, the ones that are impossible, that, that we think could never change, that you would do that work that only you can do, and that we would give you the glory for that. Jesus, I thank you for all you do in our lives, all the ways you guide and provide for us. It's in your mighty name I pray all these things. Amen. Do we have any questions? Yeah, so it's only 11.15. <laughs> Do you have any other questions? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Candy's not here to ask questions. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, let's sing one last song.